And so he's trying to write a play good enough to get into this program. And so he's writing this play, and somebody he knows approached him and said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm writing a play, and uh, I'm trying to make it good enough to get into this program. And they said, why are you doing that? He goes, because I want to get into this program. And they said, well, why aren't you trying to write the best play ever written? On this week's episode of You Are a Storyteller, we have the first of a special two-part series where Brian McDonald and Jesse Bryan talk about Brian's influences, who they are, what he learned from them, and what you can learn from them too. So this episode, I think, is going to be a lot of fun uh, because we're going to get to kind of crawl inside um, your head a little bit as far as like life experience. Mm -hmm. You've gotten to hang out with, you've told me so many stories about these incredible people, some known, some not known. Some, Mm -hmm. Some of them were actual friends of yours and others ones you've actually never met. But like you would say things like, oh, here's what I learned from Rod Serling. Here's what I learned from Chuck Jones or Glenn Keane or these different really incredible people. And so this episode is really about Almost these, like I said, either they could have been real mentors in real life or friends mm-hmm. or just mentors from generations ago that you were able to pick up these kind of golden nuggets from. Mm-hmm. And so this whole episode is really about what are those kind of like, I, I was explaining it before where where if you look at these people in your lives, it's almost like the X-Men where you go, oh, you know, I got to learn whatever, what this from Wolverine and right. I learned this from Professor X and I learned this from Beast and I learned this from Gambit or, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there's all these really cool things in life as you get to go and hang out with people where you go like, oh man, I learned a lot about whether it was story or patience or whatever it is from these different really incredible people. And so today we're going to talk about some of those people in your life and what they taught you. Um, this could not be a better day for this because uh, your first boss, my, right? Yeah, my very first boss. Your yeah. first boss is a guy named Bruce Walters and he was here at the shop today. And we geeked out hard with Bruce. So like I could have I could have talked to him all day long. I had so many questions. Um, he was at IL- ILM mm-hmm. and he'd worked on, I mean, you know, he was talking about Temple of Doom. He was talking about uh, Back to the Future 2. Hook. Hook. Um, uh, Star Trek, like how many, two different Star Trek movies, right? Star Trek uh, three and four, yeah. And he was like explaining how they did all this stuff and always, which I I remember looking incredible and he was explaining, oh yeah, here's how we did it. And he was, he was just such an incredible guy and he had so much amazing stuff to say. You just wanted to like get on a tape recorder and be like, can you tell me one more thing? <laughs> um, and one of the things I took from him is I just asked him, uh, you know, what makes for a good effect, right? And what did he say? He says, uh, you don't notice it, right? You know, yeah. He said, you don't notice it. Yeah. Just like Billy Wilder, just like, it's like all, usually the Hitchcock, greats have say yeah. similar things. Um, so let's start with Bruce since he's, he's actually in town right now. Yeah. He's just not on camera. <laughs> yeah. Um, and man, he, he created such an incredible energy. Mm-hmm. Like the design department was, we were all geeking out. How did you meet Bruce? I met Bruce uh, when I was, uh, well, so I was a kid interested in film, and uh, I think I may have told the story before, but not in not this way. Uh, but I was interested in film, and I, I was looking through the phone book, and I saw that motion pictures. Uh, I saw uh, you know motion pictures, and I thought somebody does motion pictures here in town, movies. So I was like, I'm calling everybody. So I called them all. I called every single listing under motion pictures to see if they would let me come down and see what they do. 
you know, because I was upset, obsessed with film since I was a little. And you're also kid. in Seattle, and so in there's Seattle. not a ton of. No. Yeah. I didn't know they did it here. You know. Like, yeah. What? Somebody makes movies here, so I called everybody and asked if I could come by and hang out and see what they do, and just about everybody said yeah. So That's I did that. Really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. So I did that, and then I, um, uh, I went to see Bruce. I actually went in with a friend of mine who was an illustrator and wanted to be an animator, and I thought this would be a good place for him. And uh, turns out uh, Bruce really liked me. Like he liked what I said because I talked to him about film and I knew kind of some history and I knew. So he's like, hey, you should come back anytime you want. Come back. So uh, I did. I would come after school, hang out. We'd work on uh, motion graphics. How old were you? I was uh, 13. 13. I was 13. And you made an impression. Yeah. Yeah. How are you getting there? Uh, I took the bus. See, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So after school. You were probably just jazzed to get over and hang out with Bruce. Yeah, I was. I was. And I hated school. It was perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it did, actually. It probably helped me a lot. Yeah. Because I was having such a hard time in school with dyslexia and whatever. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, and I could go someplace. At school, I felt like an idiot. But I yeah. could go work here, and I would feel smart. Like, he, Bruce mm. would always... Um, he appreciated my perspective. He appreciated my ideas. Sometimes it would use my ideas. So I'm 13 years old and would have an idea for a commercial. And or he's something. listening. And he would listen and he would use it often if it was good. He didn't lie to me. Yeah. He wouldn't use it if it wasn't good. Sure. But he would use it if it was good. He would um, always give me credit when people asked about it. You know, and I was a kid, but he would say that was Brian's idea. Wow. To the client or whoever. Um, and so, uh, so I would go. Yeah after school and hang out with him and work on these commercials and and those things and, and then, what kind of stuff were you guys doing we you, you doing, mentioned some animation but like what did it look like then it looked like uh <laughs> it looked like the titles of uh, stranger things <laughs> that's what we were doing we were doing 80s you know motion graphics so yeah. a lot of glow yeah, a uh-huh. fog filter on everything. Yeah, uh, a lot of stuff that looked like neon. It was the '80s. Yeah, '79 and into the '80s. Um, so it looked very '80s, glowy, sparkly. You know, yeah, that look. Uh, so we did a lot of. We did a. There used to be jeans called Lawman Jeans. I remember uh-huh. that was the first one of the first things I worked on was Lawman Jeans with him. It was very. That was like the first thing I ever did that I saw on television. Like, yeah, yeah. My whole family like there it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lawman know. Jeans. Yeah, Lawman Jeans. Um, I think I have a frame from that somewhere. That's cool. That I kept. Um, so we did a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, stuff for the Sounders, Seattle Sounders. Nice. Yeah. Stuff for all kinds of just local, you know, commercial. Some stuff that wasn't local, but mm. a lot of commercials and some industrial things. And but we'd shoot miniatures. We'd shoot motion graphics. Man. We'd shoot um, all kinds of stuff. And Bruce was just really. Uh, he had a real mind for it. He was real good at it. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Jeez, that guy. He was explaining like I. I had just. I. T- I was telling him that uh, my oldest son was just watching Back to the Future too, and I was like, "This the rain sequence at the beginning." He's like, "Oh yeah, here's how we did it, and we did this." And I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, <laughs> yeah, I have so many questions for you. And he's talking about Jurassic Park yeah. and all this stuff. I was like, um, "You know, I, I'll tell you." So Bruce got hired uh, to work at ILM in 1984 and so uh it was 19 in 1984 so i would go visit him he'd say hey come hang out so i would go hang out with him at ilm back then and and uh go to screenings with the crew and stuff like that and i saw saw 
the second Indiana Jones. I saw Temple of Doom with the crew, and Star Trek Three with the crew. Man, and uh, the uh, Temple of Doom. George Lucas was at that screening, so oh, that's George cool. was in short round. The kid was there, and uh, I remember Bruce pointed him out before they saw. He's like, that kid's in the movie. He's one of the stars in the movie. like that. That kid, you know. Uh-huh. I remember yeah. that, and um, uh, that was a really cool thing to be able to experience and be there. How and be old were you? Nineteen. Man. And I got to, you know, it's funny that he was working on the movie Cocoon once when I went to go see him. And uh, he's like, you want to read the script? It's here. Like, it was at his house. He's like, here, read it. And he had the storyboards there and all the stuff. So I'd read it and I'd look at the storyboards. And, you know, like it was all stuff I probably shouldn't have seen. And back now, I'm sure, you know, he probably loses his job and his house and everything else. Back then it wasn't like that. So, um, you know, and there was no internet, so it wasn't going to go anywhere. Right. So, uh, yeah, we just read the stuff. And it was cool to see the stuff being as it was being made. And then go to the ILM and see what they were doing and how they were doing the effects and talk to some of the storyboard people. And Man, think about where your life would be if Bruce didn't pick up the phone. I have no idea. I don't know. That's incredible to me. Yeah. Like, 13-year-old kid, hates school. I know exactly how that feels. Yeah. This dude picks up the phone. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Um, what did that teach you? What did you get to learn from him? Like, was it all craft stuff? Was it... You know? Some of it was. Um, you know, here's the thing. I think I learned things from Bruce he didn't mean to teach me. Hmm. So sometimes mentors do that, right? So he would teach me things. Like, he was so good at doing motion graphics. He was so good at understanding how these things worked. It was like he could do it all in his head. So uh, back then it was all on film, and it took several passes through the camera and all these things. And sometimes Bruce would get all the artwork we needed, but have no idea how it was going to be done. Like, I don't know how we're going to do this. And we'd start shooting, and he'd go, I'm not sure. And he would sort of make it up as he went along, yeah. but it would all work. It all made sense, and it all worked. Um, but that was very difficult to learn, right? Because he understood things I didn't understand about the math of things and the 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 the, the physics behind how the lenses were doing, whatever. That's all stuff I didn't. No. Right. But um, he did. And so I didn't learn as much about special effects as I thought I would learn from him because he was so so intuitive for him. Or at least it had become intuitive. Um, And so uh, what I did learn, though, was he trusted himself. He trusted that everything he knew would help him. And he's like, I'll just get all the artwork. We took the job. Right. I'll be able to do this. Hmm. So sometimes like, you know, when I, I wrote these books for first second and uh when i when i was writing this one of the books i was like well they gave me an advance (laughs) i've got to write this book but you know when somebody pays you money and says okay write a book it actually becomes yeah uh it's a scary thing yeah like they trust that i can do this and i think one of the reasons i have the confidence to be able to do it um you know there are a lot of people who are better writers than i am and all kinds of things but they can't the thing they can't get over is uh, is their lack of confidence, hmm. right? And so Bruce taught me that if you've done all your work, done all your, home, all your homework, and you've studied, and you've learned your craft, that it you can just move forward, and that stuff will kick in. Um, and so I learned that from him, uh, and that's been unbelievably helpful to see a yeah, guy no nervous and not know, you know. <laughs> um, I remember when he got hired at ILM. Uh, he uh, 
He said, uh, this is 1984, so he says, uh, so they want me to learn how to use a computer. We didn't use computers. We, everything was hand done. He goes, they want me to learn how to use a computer. I'm like, really? Because back then it was like all programming backslash. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, you know. And he said, well, they have this thing called a mouse. I remember it vividly. <laughs> like a mouse. And they uh-huh. have a thing called a mouse, and that supposedly makes it easier. And yeah. But, you know, he went in not knowing how to use a computer and all of that. You know, he went in very nervous, but he always trusted himself. Wow. And you talk about, you know, uh, you get, we're talking about like Temple of Doom and then all of a sudden then he's working on Roger Rabbit. Yeah. And then after Roger Rabbit, uh, you know, I did you know, what, just like always or what you're, you're looking yeah. at going like my, the, the stuff that he was able to work on mm-hmm. and at that level and kind of that idea of going like, nah, you know, I know enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I know the right questions to ask and like, I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to just say yes. And yeah, like that's a really amazing thing. Yeah. He, um, you know, he pointed it out today. We were looking through a book of ILM book, but there's a shot that he worked on that there's a special effect in that shot because he said the shot, what you don't see is the best special effect, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a uh, there's a movie called Young Sherlock Holmes. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. Okay. Long time ago. Okay. So in that movie, that movie should be amazing, and it's not as amazing as it. It should be everything about it. it freaked me out. Yeah. I uh, saw it at the right age where it where it freaked it, you yeah, out. It freaked me out. I could see how it would freak you out. Yeah. So. Anyway, but there's a there's a stained glass there's a there's a stained glass man in a church who comes to life. Yeah, and it's the, sort of the first use of a CGI character in a movie, um, and it's famous for that. Like this is the first use of a CGI or one of them. I think it might be the very first CGI character in a movie. The stained glass man, and um, but here's what's interesting. <laughs> there's a, an effect in there because when I went to visit Bruce, he was working on this shot. But not the CGI part of the shot. So they shot in this church or a church set, and there's these candelabras. And a lot of the candelabras don't have candles in them. And Bruce's job was to put candles in the candelabras. So there's another effect that nobody ever sees and nobody ever talks about where Mm -hmm. Bruce, after the fact, put candles before the CGI. It was not computer. Found a way to put all those candles. You know how hard that would be? That doesn't sound like much. No. Try to do that without a computer. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, and you can't see it. The people that do effects that we know, some of our friends and people listen to this that do effects, are probably going, yeah, that's crazy. That's really hard to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And nobody notices it. No, nobody sees it. Nobody ever again, sees it. which is what a good effect is for him. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, th- and again, that maybe also had some impact on how I feel about uh, my writing and how I feel about my directing, that I don't want anybody to see it, that I've done a good job if people don't see it. Yeah. So I feel like... Well, then that, Invisible Ink. Yeah. I feel like that sort of trained my brain to think that way. I might not think that way otherwise. But, might, but it makes sense that you like Billy Wilder, too, because, you know, again, same thing. Yeah. Where it's like, why would I... I'm not trying to stand out. Right. I'm trying to tell a story. Yeah. Um, was there anything... I mean, because obviously Bruce, like, from a a craft perspective the guy is incredible but what about it just as a person you know like i mean you were a kid you were just a kid yeah i was a kid and uh you know he took it's kind of an amazing thing we were talking about it you know when somebody goes well i'm gonna take this kid in yeah 
think about that. It's probably more work for them yep. than it. You don't know when you're yeah. a kid, mm-hmm. but it's probably more work than you know. Than, than you're you, not helping. You're probably. not. Yeah, you're probably. Yeah. You know, the 13 year old Brian isn't coming in explaining to. Well, here's how we gonna. Here's how to solve this problem. Right. Yeah. You know. Um. And so. Uh. So at first, it's probably a little bit of a burden, right? Yeah. I mean, he maybe didn't experience it that way consciously, but there's yeah. gonna be mistakes get get made and stuff. So, uh, you know, that happens. But, um, uh, he was patient. He listened. He weighed everything I said. Um, so in that way, I mean, that's a really good way to be. And I think when you have modeling like that, I mean, I, that's, I, I, I think I try to be that person. You know, I mean, other people would have to tell you whether I am that person. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I think I, I try to be that person. I, I try to try to take that in and give credit where credit is due and and um, and listen. And, you know, those are just good traits in a human being. Amazingly good traits in a mentor and a boss. Yeah. But but just good traits in a human being. And so I think I learned some things there. I also learned watching him deal with uh, crew or people who he was hiring or people who were under Neath him, mm-hmm. um, the way he treated those people was amazing, and I, I tend to do that. I know I do that. So if I'm doing, if I'm in a color correction session or something, um, you know, I will. The experts are the experts, and I will let them be the experts. And I don't make demands, but I'll ask questions. Right. So I'll like, does that seem like it works to you? Mm-hmm. Right. And I might explain why I think, but because if you well, I, maybe I told you this story. So I so I worked at a an effects house. This is after Bruce left, and I worked at this effects house that was part of a bigger film lab, and and uh, they had a a video department mm-hmm. when video was kind of new, and you know they had a video department, and they were doing video editing over there, and it was like we were film people, so we were like kind of you, uh-huh. you know we're film people. They're right. people. Yeah, yeah. But I would go visit the video people, and they were always very nice to me. Excuse me. And so uh, I would go over there and sit over there and they'd talk to me because because I'm a kid. So they'll talk to me. And uh, so this guy says we're sitting in this edit suite. It's very nice, very cushy couch behind them. And there's this board with all these knobs and buttons and levers and everything. Yeah. Right. And he says, you know, and I said, man, this is a lot of stuff, you know, that you've got to learn how to do. And he goes, you know, because they adjust the color or they adjust the things. And he said, you know, it's interesting. He points to a big like bank of like knobs and stuff and he says uh this is not attached to anything i said what he goes it doesn't control anything and he goes here this is what we use this for he goes sometimes there's a client and they're sitting back there on the couch and they'll say that looks too blue fix that so they just adjust one of these knobs no way yeah they I would love just adjust it. one of these knobs they, ah there yeah, you go. yeah yeah how's now that you're getting it how's that <laughs> Right. <laughs> that's great. So that's something I learned uh-huh. was as a client or as a person in that other position. Don't lie to those people. They're experts. Yeah. Right. If you pretend to know something you don't, they will see through it. Yep. Right. So that also taught me ask questions. I won't say that looks too blue. I will say, does that look too blue to you? Yeah. Right. Right. Big difference. That's a huge difference. And then you don't have to bullshit people. Yeah, because what's the point? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, this is what they do. Yeah, this Hire is all the they artist do. to be the artist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I learned that. I wish I could remember the names of the people who taught me that. But yeah, you know, sometimes the mentors come in and they teach you a thing, and then they you know. Yeah. But um, 
no, that was a valuable lesson. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What a nice guy. And even just in the hour or so we spent, you know, in the office hanging out, like, man, I was just taking notes and super nice guy. And also just like, also thanks to Bruce for listening to the show. And that was so cool that he's been listening to the show and like, you know, super encouraging guy. Um, what an incredible artist. And so in the show notes, we'll make sure we link to some of his work too, so you can see it. But yeah. man, talk, uh, talk about, um, humility or kindness, um, you know, to talent ratio is off the charts. <laughs> like when you're that good and you're that nice. Yeah. Can't and, ask for more. And he talks about, you know, when he was at ILM, there were all these, you know, great people working there, but he talks about himself. Like he's not one of those people <laughs> like, yeah. like, Oh, they're smart. Like really yeah, uh, pretty smart. Or you wouldn't <laughs> be there. Sure. You know, they just didn't let schmoes come in and, you know, uh, sure. yeah. But yeah, he did work with a lot of smart people, but he's one of them. And he did, that happens to all of us though. We don't think we're one of those hmm. people. Yeah. He's, you know? yeah, he was awesome. Yeah. And he brought such a great energy to the, just to the office. And he was so nice and sweet to everybody. And, Hope he gets to come back at some point. Yeah. Um, I just love to, I mean, the fact that he was like a 13 year old kid picks up the phone and he had you come in. I think that that's a great challenge, you know, to anybody who, who's in the position where you have the opportunity to kind of kickstart somebody's career. And you go like, like I said, man, like for somebody that hated school and all these things, perfect timing for you to I tell you something else. Bruce did. Huh. It has nothing to do with me years later. Um, after I, you know, we, he'd been down at ILM for a while doing that. There was a woman, I, I actually don't know her name. Um, I think he's mentioned it before, but I don't, I don't remember her name, but he told the story to somebody out here today. So Bruce, uh, was, uh, he, there was a woman he used to talk to who was the, on the night crew or something. She was like a janitorial person at, at ILM. And, um, she would like on breaks, talk to the camera crew and stuff. And um, they needed a camera person. And she said, I could do that. And he talked to the other camera people and they said, yeah, she could probably do that. And so he said that he wanted to hire her. The company was like, you can't hire her. She has no experience. You can't yeah. just hire her. So he, they made him interview a bunch of people. So he interviewed all these people with crazy portfolios and reels and everything. Yeah. And he goes, no, nah, I still want to hire her. So they let him. And he said she was amazing. And now she's a big muckety-muck like layout really? person. yeah yeah she doesn't work at lucasfilm anymore she works somewhere else but she's a big that's so cool isn't that cool well it doesn't surprise me yeah you know people like that they don't just help out one person you know they yeah look for opportunities to help out other folks and yeah. i'm sure and it'd be cool if we ever get bruce ever back here we'll have to have him on the show and talk to him yeah. because i guarantee you somebody helped him out you know yeah it's how it works yeah it is how it works um another one i really want to talk to you about that uh, you've told me so many incredible stories about, and he just seems like the most incredible guy is your friend, uh, August Wilson. Mm -hmm. For people that don't know, can you explain who he is if you don't already know? <laughs> August Wilson is, will, will go down probably as one of the most important playwrights of the 20th century. That's, <laughs> I think mm -hmm. that's, that's who he is. Yeah. Um, has a theater named after him in New York. Um, he lived long enough to see that they were going to name the theater after him. A guy came out from New York, I remember when he was dying, and a guy came out from New York to get a bunch of his signatures so they could make the sign That's with so his cool. actual signature. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he got to see, I don't, this theater, I think he died before it actually happened, but, um, but yeah, so, no, he was a good dude. What plays would people know? 
Well, uh, Fences was just made into a film mm -hmm. uh, with Denzel Washington directing and starring in it, so they probably know Fences. Uh, but he wrote a play called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which was his first play on Broadway. That's the one where the we tell that story. Yeah. So, so he was a playwright, but he wasn't known, and nobody knew him. And you know, he was just writing stuff, trying to get produced, and he wanted to get into a uh, playwriting program. I think at Yale. Um, I think Yale drama or whatever. I don't, don't quote me, but it's, I think it was Yale. Anyway, he, so he wanted to get into this program. And so he's trying to write a play good enough to get into this program. And so he's writing this play and somebody he knows approached him and said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm writing a play and uh, I'm trying to make it good enough to get into this program. And they said, why are you doing that? He goes, because I want to get into this program. And they said, well, why aren't you trying to write the best play ever written? And he took that in, and he goes, you know, you're, you're right. And he wrote it, and that was the first play he had on Broadway. That was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Mindset. Yeah. What are you doing? Why would you waste your time trying to be good enough to get in the program? Right. Write the best play ever written. Yeah. Broadway. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? How'd you meet August? I met August on the street. Um Cause he has like a memorial here in town and like he's he's huge deal <laughs> so you just met him on the street did you know who he like walking yeah. by were you like oh that's august wilson like, yeah yeah really? <laughs> yeah i recognized him and um it was at a movie theater that doesn't exist anymore it was a it was a little mall that had a movie theater in it and um i was up above where the movie theaters were and he was down below at like a newspaper stand he read the newspaper all the time he read the new york times like if you'd run into him he'd always have the new york times and uh, when you'd have a conversation with him, he would write things down in the margins of the New York Times. So you'd mm. be talking to him and he'd go, oh, that's good. And he'd put But anyway, so he was uh, looking at the paper or something. And I and I said, oh, my God, it's August Wilson. So I, I excused myself from my friends and I went down and I said, hey, are you August Wilson? And uh, he said he was. And he was very nice to me, talked to me for a few minutes and then um, uh, actually gave me his phone number that first day that we You're talked. You're kidding. No. Yeah. I, and I had that card that he wrote his name and his number on for ages. And then one day I was looking through stuff and I'm like, what do I need this for? Right? And I threw it away <laughs> because I just knew him. He was just a guy I knew, not uh -huh. just a scrap of paper that I kept coming across. Yeah. And now I wish I had it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, that's how I met him. And so then he was in the neighborhood. We were in the same neighborhood. So I would see him a lot and we would talk more and more and the, the conversations got longer and... Uh, the coolest thing for <laughs> uh -huh. me was that, um, uh, so one day he was, uh, I ran into him. Yeah. And uh, I love it. You just ran into him. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, so one day I ran into him uh -huh. and he says, uh, oh, I had dinner with Charles Johnson last night. Now, Charles Johnson is a novelist. Uh, he's a National Book Award winning novelist, Charles Johnson. I know Charles now too, Chuck. Yeah. Chuck, I, I, uh, also, August 1... He won the Pulitzer, right? I think he had two Pulitzers. Yeah. So okay. we should probably mention that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. And he had all, every award. Yeah, you know. sure. Um, and so, but in, uh, but in literature, Charles Johnson is a, a big deal and they were buddies. So I knew Charles Johnson, Chuck, and I knew August Wilson, but I knew them separately. I didn't actually know them. I never was in the same room with both of them at the same time. Yeah. But, um, but they would hang out. They're close. They were closer in age and. They would hang out together. And, um, in fact, Charles Johnson, Charles Johnson wrote a book about them or a story about them called Nighthawks Hanging Out Together. Oh, cool. And um, 
And so uh, one day I ran into to, uh, August, and I didn't know Charles Johnson very well at the time, but he, Charles Johnson had been a fan of a couple of things I had written. And uh, so I kind of knew him that way. And he goes, uh, August says, hey, I had dinner with uh, Charles Johnson last night. He goes, we spent half the night talking about you, man. I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> yeah. August Wilson and Charles Johnson, they were like, oh, yeah, because they really liked Invisible Ink. And um, it was like that was the best compliment in the world. Yeah, that probably put fuel in your tank for it, a while. It still puts fuel in my tank. Like, I was crazy. Well, how did that hit you? Um, uh, well, I just couldn't quite believe it on some level. Yeah. I mean, I believed it, but I didn't quite believe it. Yeah. You know what I mean? These guys were. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you learn from August? Because um, what's weird to me about the August stories that I've heard from you before, mm-hmm. it, they're usually about him as a person and not his work or mm-hmm. or even writing. Yeah. Well, the one thing about writing is that that aim for the fences thing. Right? Not, why not? Yeah. Why aren't you writing, trying to write the best play ever written? Right. So when I sit down to write, that's definitely what I do. You got August in there with you going, Ryan, what are you doing? Yeah. So I will always yeah. try to do people may not like what I do. But I'm doing my best. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Um, I'm swinging for the fences. Yep. You know, whether people like it or not is not up to me. Right. Yep. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, so there's that. That I learned from him. The other thing was, um, his humanity. August was, um, and that's true of so many of these these people that I've gotten to know and uh, and learn from is that they have uh, there's a core humanity that is kind of off the charts. And August was one of those people who, um, you know, he would always give money. People would, <laughs> people would uh, ask him for money all the time, like on the street. Because he, see, August liked to smoke, so he sat in front of this coffee shop. Uh-huh. Um, like there was one coffee shop where he used to hang out, and uh, but he couldn't smoke in there, so he didn't like that. So there was one down the street where you could smoke outside, so he'd go there and smoke. So that's where you'd run into him. He'd be there smoking, reading the New York Times. And, and uh, people would, they didn't know who he, who he was. It wasn't like people were hitting him up because they knew he was successful August Wilson. Super he, successful. He was just some guy yeah. on the street. He was just uh, August, Wil- you know, August. And so they were like, hey, August, give me some money. Or August, give me a cigarette. And he was always like, yeah, okay. He, he, didn't, he didn't hesitate. He would just give people whatever. And I, I, one time somebody said, uh, you know, he gave some guy some money. And, and a friend of his said, you know, he's just going to use that for drugs or whatever. And August is like. Like, it's sort of like, it's not my deal. I can't police the money I give him. Like, that, I can't tell him what to do with his money. Yeah. You know, he asked me for it. It was a kindness, and he did it. Yeah. And that's just the way he was. Uh, I never saw him say no to anybody. Um, Never. He would go to people's plays if you were, like, just a young playwright, and you go, hey, you're August Wilson. Will you come to my play? Man, the guts it would take to ask that question. But he would do it. He would go. So you're August Wilson. So... You know, yeah, Pulitzers and all that. But hey, I'm, I put up a show. Will you come check it out? He would go. That's crazy. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I saw him talking to playwrights about their plays. Like, well, you got to do this, you got to do that. Like, he'd be at a cafe or something. He'd be talking to them, giving them notes and pointers and stuff. Like, he he was unbelievably generous with his uh, with his time, with his company, with his knowledge, with his. It, he was amazing. Um, yeah, and so um, and I told you the story. Uh, about so there was a guy in the neighborhood, Gunars. 
right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tell that, have they told that in the no, show? No, I don't think you've told that in the show. So uh, there was a guy in the neighborhood. His name was Gunars, and Gunars was uh, an old, uh, an old guy, German. Uh, he was from Germany, but he had been here a long time, and he was his old. Actually, he had been in the Hitler Youth uh, when he was a kid. But he was like, it was compulsory. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't yeah, like I right. wanted to be in the Hitler Youth. It was yeah. like that's what you had to. So that's the age he was. He, uh, he was that old, and um, but he was a little bit like. You never knew. It's like, is Gunnar's homeless? Does he have a place to live? Like, you never quite knew. It was always, he was always a little dirty and always a little, you know, and he was, and he had this really gruff voice. And, and uh, he was just, uh, some people were really annoyed by Gunnar's. Other people were like, oh, whatever. But I knew a lot of the vendors uh, at that, like coffee stands and stuff. They were like, oh, man, here comes Gunnar's. Anyway, Gunnar's was just a figure in the, neighbor, in the neighborhood. And, and uh, he died. And there was a thing in the paper that said he had died. And uh, he was just a guy in the neighborhood. Like, I, I don't, as far as I knew, nobody knew him well. Right. You know? And um, and August, I ran into August, and he goes, hey, man, did you know Gunnar's? Because he's looking at the paper, because he always was looking at the paper. He goes, hey, man, you know Gunnar's died? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He goes, uh, you got to go to the memorial? I'm like, no. Like, you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Like, like I don't know. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not going. You know, and he goes, I'm going to go, man. I'm going. And he went. He went to Gunnar's memorial. Not only did he go, what I heard uh, from another mutual friend is that August walked around to everybody at that funeral and said, did Gunnar's have any debts? Because he was going to pay Gunnar's debts. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. Gunnar's is dead, and he still wants him to be thought of kindly, right? So he's yeah. like, I'm going to pay his debts. A man that I don't, I mean, he's not. Yeah. He's just a guy in the neighborhood. Yeah. Right? That's incredible. Yeah. This is all the stuff you don't learn about guys. Like, you know, when you just read about him. <laughs> right. You're like, well, a very talented person. You know, one of the greatest American playwrights ever. Yeah. Right. But you're not going to hear that story. No. And and that had to have affected his writing. Right. Just being that human of a person. That affects the work. That impacts the work. Right. Of course it does. He had an ability to see the, the perspective of other people, the points of view of other people. Hmm. Um. Uh, to humanize people rather than dehumanize people, right? People on the street he gave money to, all that yeah. stuff. And that all came through his work. Man. Um, yeah. Yeah. Stuart Stern was like that, too. Well, let's talk about Stuart. Okay. I mean, you have gotten to really learn some gems from some really incredible people. Uh, we've touched lucky. on Stuart before, but just in case somebody had, doesn't know who Stuart is, wh how, how did what did Stuart do professionally, mm -hmm. and how did you meet him? Uh, Stewart uh, wrote the movie Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean. James Dean did Tim, D James Dean did three movies. It's cold in here. I can't. Talk it is cold, cold in here. Yeah. Uh, James Dean did three movies, and so one of them is Rebel Without a Cause. And uh, Stewart wrote that, but he also wrote a movie called Sybil, um, which was a TV movie with Sally Field doing her first sort of real serious work. Uh, she's amazing in it. Um, it's my favorite piece of Stewart's, um, but lots of other things he re he wrote a movie called The Rack which was from a Rod Serling teleplay. You uh, want to explain that they did had he ever met Rod Serling before? Well, I mentioned Rod Serling in a in passing once and he just said, "Oh, I miss Rod." I'm like, "What?" You know. Yeah, uh-huh. But I guess they they had the same secretary once upon a time. They shared a secretary. Sure. Of course so, they did. So, uh yeah. But whenever I talked to Stuart, I could mention anyone and he would have a story about them if they were famous. Who was know, his uncle? His uncle was Adolf Zucker, who started Paramount Pictures. 
So uh, when he was a kid, he would spend uh, summers on the estate of his uncle, um, Adolf Zucker. You showed me some of those photos. They're insane. Yeah, they're crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah. So when he was a kid, he would meet silent movie stars and stuff. But but, but that photo, like, yeah, it's crazy. That, it's not yeah. a photo. Yeah. So, so what was to he like? Stewart? Uh-huh. He was, uh, he was a really gentle soul. He was the, the sweetest human being you'll ever meet. Um, yeah, I can't, uh, he was just a sweet human being and nobody understood how he could be that sweet. Like how could a person exude that much kindness and understanding and sweetness? And he, um, you know, he didn't have the, you think my uncle, you know, started Paramount Pictures that he would have an easy yeah. childhood, but it wasn't that easy for him. And um, he uh, he loved cows, loved cows. <laughs> Kid, in fact, when he met uh, James Dean the first time, uh, they uh, they mooed at each other because uh, they could both do cow impressions. So they were really? sitting, they were kind of awkwardly sitting across from each other, and Stuart was like. Mmm. <laughs> James Dean was like, and pretty soon they're mooing at each other, became friends. But that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I love it. They were really good at doing cows. Like and I, they were buddies. They were they were pals. Yeah. That for, letter he wrote yeah. for James Dean's his was it his uncle uncle. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's online. We could link to Man. it. I'm sure. Um, yeah, dude but knew how to write. He was a good writer. He wrote a really le- great letter to me when a friend of mine was dying about grief, and it's the most amazing letter. Yeah. Um, but. So, uh, but Stuart, uh, yeah, he liked cows. So, um, and the reason he liked cows is that his mother was a pretty cold person and uh, probably did not want to have Stuart. <laughs> and um, Stuart would, um, uh, there was a, I think it was on his uncle's estate. There was somewhere where there was a cow when he was a kid. And he just loved the way the calves, the cow was so affectionate to her calves. And he would mm. curl up as a little kid with the cow. Uh, for affection so he had yeah so yeah um so he had a lot of uh hurt he had a lot of pain but it didn't come out as anger it came out as kindness it came out as understanding so it was like oh i see how you're hurting too he said that he would meet people and picture them as babies so he just met everybody and pictured them as babies and that brought out a kind of kindness. Um, yeah, he was just a, I can't explain it, what he was like. Will you tell that story of um, one time you told me about the power of silence and what you learned the power of silence? Oh, right. I don't think we've ever told that. I don't think so. So uh, this is, I talk about this when I tell, talk about writing dialogue. I, I can't stand the way people talk about dialogue. Um, the way people talk about dialogue now is they talk about dialogue that's noticed, right? So if it's snappy or clever or whatever, they go, what really great dialogue? And no matter how lame it sounds or no matter how unrealistic it sounds, right? Um, you know, if people say good dialogue. They don't mean what I would mean, which would be effective dialogue, right? M- my idea of good dialogue would be dialogue that sounded like natural conversation, mm-hmm. That dialogue car- you don't notice. Right. That carried a lot of information you needed the audience to know. Right. Right. Um, Just like Bruce said. 
dialogue yes. you don't notice. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the fireworks dialogue, I'm not a big fan of. Right. Right. But everybody's, I don't want to talk about those writers and directors. We can guess who they might yeah, be. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm not a big fan of it because it's all about getting noticed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I talk about uh, this story uh, because Stuart, it's, this is not, this is from Stuart's life, but it illustrates what you can do with less. Right. So Stuart uh, was in World War Two and he was in the Battle of the Bulge and the Battle of the Bulge was serious. And um, people can look that up or we can link to something about it. I don't know. But it was serious. Yeah. yeah, Trust. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, so he was in the Battle of the Bulge and he was having lunch with a mutual friend. I wasn't there, but I heard this from the friend. So he's having lunch with this guy, and the guy says to Stuart, you know, my uncle was in the Battle of the Bulge. And Stuart said, oh, he was. Was he captured? And the guy said, yes. And Stuart said, now you can't write a speech that good. So don't try. Right. Right? You fill it with what you need to fill it with. Right? It's too horrific to speak. Yeah. It's too tragic to talk about. And not talking about it is so much more powerful. And sometimes I read people's dialogue and I'm like, why are you talking? Shut up now. Mm-hmm. It's going to be stronger. Yeah. Yeah. I told you the story about, <clears throat> I was talking to my grandma, I was interviewing my grandma. Something I suggest everybody does if you're worried about, you know, we only have so much time. Yeah. So I want an interviewer and the older folks around me, I'd like to interview them and just have their story down just in case. And I I think I told you she was like, I think she was nine when her mom died. And she said, I didn't cry. And she said, I couldn't cry. It hurt worse than a cry. And that's all she said. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Like right. The, her just saying that, it hurt worse than a cry. A couple years later, you're like, oh, that's just it. Right. Yeah. It's uh, sometimes less, well, often less is more. People yeah. say that, but they don't really understand what it means. It means things like that. Yeah. Um, and so that's something I learned. Yeah, if you were at that table and Stuart did that, it would have been goosebumps. Yeah. I, you, I might have started crying. Like, you might tear up just seeing nothing. Right. Yeah. So much more effective. Yeah. So that was from his life, but it was about writing. You know, right. right. For, mm-hmm. for, for me hearing it. And, and, uh, but, um, just as a person, he was, he was just so generous in the same way. I got to introduce Stuart in August once and, uh, uh, Stuart, August did not know who Stuart was because August didn't care about movies or see them. <laughs> he really, like I was talking about Jaws one day, he goes, I haven't seen that. Like he doesn't he did not go to the movies. Um, and so I don't know if he knew anything about Rebel Without a Cause. I mean, he heard of it, you know. Yeah, sure, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, and so when I introduced them, I think they had met briefly once before, but um, August did not remember. And so Stuart was very excited to meet uh, August. It was like he was like a fanboy, which is amazing because Stuart knew everybody. <laughs> like going back, you know, to the twenties. Yeah. He knew everybody, but he yeah. was like, August Wilson. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was really giddy about it. It was really cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was just a sweet uh person who saw the humanity in everybody. Oh, and that's 
talk about going back to the work. That's what was, when his work really worked, it was because he could do that. So if you watch. What was that? Well, he could see the humanity in people. So, so for instance, Rebel Without a Cause yeah. uh, came out the same year as a movie called Blackboard Jungle. Hmm. Blackboard Jungle is essentially about the same thing. People were worried in the 1950s, you know, after the war, uh, that generation was worried about their kids. Their kids, uh, they felt like there was, and I don't know if there was a bump in crime or whatever, but juvenile delinquency was at some, you know, fever pitch. And, you know, they were like, oh, my God, what, what's going on with our kids? So there's a lot of talk about what was going on with the kids. So, it, you know, there was a backlash <laughs> against comic books and all kinds of things. And so um, if you look at Blackboard Jungle, excuse me, which was a big movie, um, had stars in it, um, big movie, uh, I think made a big impact in the moment, but it really treated the kids almost like aliens. Hmm. These kids are bad kids, right? And so it was the good teacher and the good adults and the bad kids. That's the way right. that movie feels, right? Rebel Without a Cause is not like that. Rebel Without a Cause is a thing where Stewart took the perspective of the kids. Wait, if these kids are troubled, it's probably because of something their parents did. The uh, That scene with James Dean at the end with his dad, mm -hmm. I remember the first time I saw it getting choked, like yeah. tearing up. Yeah. It's bonkers. Yeah. The vulnerability in that. And that's the way he was, Stuart. He was a vulnerable human being. He... And that James Dean committed himself enough to do that. Oh, yeah. Because that would take a lot mm -hmm. to do that scene. Yeah. And, man, it works. Yeah. Like. Yeah. He, I, uh, I don't know how he wrote that. Like, you know what I mean? He was really good at tapping into tapping into his pain. He was very good at it. Um, he taught a whole class on it. The personal connection was the name of his class, and that was all about tapping into that, tapping into that pain. Um, so he did not shy away from that in his writing at all, and you see it in Sybil. Is too. that something you've learned? Oh yeah, yeah. I'll I'll go there um, to write. I'll go there. Is that why? Does that? Um, like I know when you just wrote your your new show. You like went away. Mm -hmm. Does that have something to do with that? Or is that just so you can concentrate? That was more about concentration, but I can't say that I didn't. I have to. I have to prepare like an actor, right? I have to make those emotions that the characters are going to be feeling available to me so that I'm not writing from a place of observation, but I'm writing from a place of actual feeling, right? Like not this is what it's like. This is not what things look like when you people are sad. I have to find a way to write. This is the way the way it feels when you are sad. Mm -hmm. Does, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. trying not to write. I'm for telling me. you, for folks who haven't seen Rebel, you should watch it. At the very least, watch the scene with James and his dad because it's bonkers. Yeah. So, but he was good at tapping into. Um, you can feel that, man. Yeah. No, he was he was very good at that. Um, and so again, there's no line between the the person and his work that way yeah right that's who he was that's shows in his work you know um some people are are, are better in their work than they are in life yeah 
Um, some people are jerks in real life and somehow do tender, amazing work. Sure. Uh, but uh, that wasn't that's not true of the people I know who do amazing, uh, meaningful, uh, emotional work. Yeah. They're um, amazing human beings who see the humanity in others and are not afraid to show others their own humanity. August Stewart, Glenn King's like that, too. Um, Let's talk about Glenn. Um, I've I've only seen interviews with Glenn Keane. Obviously, I'm a fan of his work. Can you kind of fill people in on who he is if you don't know who he is? Uh, Glenn Keane is um, he's an animator. Um, I mean, that's one of the things he storyboards. He directs now, uh, but uh, he's been directing for a while now, I should say. But he um, he's an, he's he's the guy uh, he uh, designed and animated Ariel in The Little Mermaid. And the Beast and Beauty and the Beast, sure. and Aladdin and Aladdin, sure. and Pocahontas and Pocahontas, yeah, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. Most of your childhood, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Keene was kind of at the center of that, yeah. Um, um, talk about his family. Who is his like? Oh, uh, well, he's got uh, his his dad was a guy named Bill Keene who uh, did a comic strip called The Family Circus. I just thought it was so cool that like that's so cool. You yeah, know? yeah. And then uh, both of his kids are are uh, artists, uh, Max Keene is an animator and artist and uh claire keen yeah also. i saw claire speak at that thing in rome and her work was incredible too she's amazing yeah really incredible yeah. artist i don't um, know max i've never met max but uh uh if he's anything like the rest of his family he's a good guy That's <laughs> yeah sure yeah. They're, they're both uh claire and and uh, glenn are very sweet people. how did you meet glenn i met glenn uh, i met glenn because i have uh, a former student who is an animator now at Disney. So uh, I taught her, it's funny, because when I was teaching her, we would spend a lot of time talking about Glenn Keane, like that guy's the coolest guy, oh my God, that guy's amazing. Like we were big fans of Glenn's. And then she uh, ended up working at Disney and worked on uh, Tangled, uh, which uh, Glenn was directing, um, and then uh, he had a heart attack and then had to not finish. But, uh, so he did a lot of work. I think he, I think he worked on it for six years. Jeez. Um, and then, uh, so he did a lot. So it's really, there's yeah. a lot of Glenn in that movie. Mm-hmm. And, she, and it's also my daughter's entire room. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's what pretty much saying. Claire's artwork or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Because Claire did all of Rapunzel's. Yep. Yeah, that's her room. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next time coming, I'll show you. It's okay. pretty funny. Okay. Um, so anyway, um, uh, so anyway. Uh, my, uh, Kara is her name, Kara. Um, I asked her, I went to visit her once at Disney and I wanted to meet Glenn cause she was working with him then and knew him. And I, I really liked that. I'd like to meet that guy. And she said, well, he's not here. He was away. And I said, well, can you give him copies of my books? And, uh, so she did. And then I don't know, a little while later he wrote me and he said, Hey, I read your books. They're really great. <laughs> like, thanks. He goes, <laughs> Hey, can I come up and buy you dinner? Yeah. So he flew to Seattle. <laughs> That's so crazy. And we had dinner. And uh, it was great. <laughs> yeah. You know? And um, and then I got to work with him on a project um, at Disney just before he left Disney, really. He'd been there 38 years. Wow. Um, everything about that experience was cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, you know, here's, here's the interesting thing is that, you know, it's one thing to be a fan of someone. Um, and then it's another thing when they become a full-fledged human being, right? And yeah. so um, I had work to do. I couldn't be in awe the whole time, right, when I was there. I mean, it was 
10 minutes of like, oh my God, I'm working with Glenn Keane. And then it was like, I guess we have work to do. You know, um, and so uh, he very quickly became uh, a human being and, a, and a, an amazing human being. And um, it was just, um, uh, just getting to, you know what? When I was working with him, we'd be working on something and he, you know, I was thinking we could do this with the story or that with the story. And he'd have these drawings on the wall that were amazing that no one will ever see. And I just thought, man, I, I feel almost like this is unfair to everybody who would love to be in this room and hear these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the, I did feel that at one point. Uh-huh. Uh, I've tried to let him talk him into letting me do a documentary about him, but he won't, won't let me <laughs> do it. Uh, maybe one day. Yeah. But he won't let me do it. Uh, what did you learn by watching him work? Well, one of the things I, I we were working in, um, we were happened to be working in Frank and Ollie's space. So, if you don't know Frank and Ollie, they are um, older animators mm-hmm. that were mentors to Glenn. Really, Ollie was kind of a big deal. They're big deal. Yeah, they're, they're big. There's a whole movie yeah. called Frank and Ollie about that. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but their their big deal worked on Pinocchio and Snow White and all that that era crazy. of Disney, they're crazy, Bambi yeah. and all of yeah. that. Um, and uh, so they were his teachers. Um, and Man. so, so he would. So we were working in their space. Um, what had been their space? So we were working in what was called D Wing uh, back in in the day, and that's where all the masters worked in that in the D Wing. And so we were, they're just offices now. Yeah. But but, but uh, so he would tell me stories about like, well, this is where Milt Call's office was, and this is what he used to be like, and this is where so and so's office was, and you know, he it was really great. Sheesh. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, and then he would say, uh, these trees uh, out here were given to Walt by the uh, the king of Spain. Right. Like, yeah, he, had, like, he knew the oh, history okay. of every. Like, it was just amazing That's to be so cool. on the. You know, I just felt uh, honored to be in that space and to be working on something there. And, uh, you know, it's my childhood like it is everybody yeah, else's. Sure. And um, and so. Uh, but there was an interesting thing because this circles back to August. So. I was talking to Glenn about Picasso and I was like, people I respect love Picasso. Billy Wilder loved Picasso, right? People I respect like Picasso, I don't get it. And I'm not the kind of person who will pretend to get something uh-huh. that I don't get, right? Yeah. And, and Sounds I, pretty healthy. Yeah, it's like, well, I don't get it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm yeah. not, like too many people I know are smart and and uh, and not sm- pretending to be smart, right? Yeah. Um, like his work, so there's something I'm not seeing, and I'm okay with that. I think that comes from being dyslexic. You know, when you're dyslexic, sometimes I don't see stuff. Sure. Right. 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 You know. You also know that sometimes things come with time, right? right. That well, it just takes time, right? And I'm not going to pretend to like it until I do, or pretend to see what I, you know, until I do. So, uh, so I was talking to August about this one day, and I go, I don't. I don't get it. You know, I don't know why he came up, but I wait. Like, you were talking to August. Yeah, I was talking to August because yeah, we'll get back to the okay. when. But I was talking to August about Picasso, and August said he just listened and he said, "Well, have you ever watched him paint or draw?" And I said, "I don't know. I, I maybe." He goes, "Well, you should do that." So I did. You, you can see it on YouTube. There's him drawing and painting and stuff, and I watched him, and I was like, "Okay." Then I'd watch him again, and I watched him again. 
you know, over time. Uh -huh. And I, I did see some interesting things. And one of the things I saw, there's one thing where he's drawing and it looks like a hand and then it looks like a chicken and then it looks like something else. But what I noticed is that he didn't make any mistakes. And I don't mean didn't make any mistakes like, um, I mean, he didn't recognize any mistakes. So it was almost as if whatever line was made was the right line. There's a kind of confidence. Uh-huh, yeah. Like, nope, that's what that is. And there was no going back or no thinking. You do those single-stroke drawings yeah. of, like, a penguin or a dog. But and, but yeah. this became, like, it's like he didn't know what it was. Like, whatever this is going to be, it was, like, just this interesting yeah. thing where there was a kind of confidence that this was just going to work. And that's what I got. I was like, oh, that's a really interesting thing because that's something I can take with me, right, that, that you can just... You take your craft and then you can feel your way through things and don't, you may be able to embrace what you might think of her as mistakes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. He embraced them so freely that there was no break. There was no line. There was no thought. There was no, right? Yeah. It was amazing. So that's what I saw. Anyway, I was telling this story to Glenn. Yeah. It was like the end of the work day. So the next day I come into work and Glenn is there and he's watching Picasso <laughs> paint. And it's a, it's a, you can see it. And there's a, there's a, it's a he's painting on glass. So mm -hmm. the camera's on the other side of the yeah. glass. Yep. And he's painting. And it's at the end of the Think Different com commercial, too. Yeah. Yep. And so Glenn is watching it because I told him this story. Yeah. And then Glenn says, look where he's looking. And I was like, what? Just look where he's looking. I looked. I didn't know what he's talking about. He goes, he's not looking at the line he's, painting he's looking sort of in the middle because this line relates to this line relates to this line relates to this line he's like he sees the whole thing and he's doing it's amazing what glenn saw yeah right so it was like i saw one thing glenn yeah. saw something else but one of the things i learned from glenn is a very good learner that's what glenn is <laughs> like mm -hmm. glenn if you tell glenn something he'll take it in like he doesn't he'll take it in and like i mean he was watching picasso the next day right you know um, Glenn's the kind of guy. He has every right to not listen to anybody. Yeah, or learn, like he, you know what I mean. That's not who he is at all. He'll listen to anybody. He um, he figures you probably know something. You know what I mean? He's it's amazing yeah. to, to the way he listens, and he also challenges himself in a really interesting way. So, a lot of people will rest on their laurels. They do something, they do it well, they'll keep doing it because they're known for it, right? So I'm just gonna keep do what I'm known for because it's safe. When we were at Comic Con, you were talking about that. Yeah. You were pretty much saying, like, you can see where people stopped. Right. You can see where people stopped learning. Yeah. You can see it. Um, yeah. Uh, it's funny. Sometimes people can fool you. I was with a friend of mine at a Comic-Con. Did I talk about this? The hands? Uh, maybe oh, not. Okay. So I was at a friend of mine at Comic-Con in San Diego years ago. And we were looking at some guy's portfolio. And I was like, this portfolio is amazing, you know. And it was, yeah, it was pretty good. And, uh, and uh, my friend Brian O'Connell said uh, when the guy left, I, go, I said, man, Brian, that guy's stuff was good. And he was like, that's yeah, okay. I'm like, what? He, goes, he said, the guy can't draw hands. I'm like, what? He goes, well, he never drew them. And he goes, didn't you notice everybody's hands were in their pockets or holding something? Or He's like, so for him, it was very obvious. So it became obvious to me. It was hmm. an interesting, Brian's a little bit younger than me. Um, not much, especially now. When we were really young, he was a lot younger. Now, you know, we're the yeah. same age now. Yeah. So, uh -huh. <laughs> you know how that works? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. But, um, but it was an interesting thing for me to, to see that, oh, I wasn't seeing everything, but somebody who was a practitioner of that particular craft was yep. seeing everything. But anyway, 
Which kind of goes back to the colorist thing you were talking about. Which, where you're like, well, the colorist is going to see things I'm not seeing. Right. 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 Exactly. So, uh, but, but Glenn does things like this. So Glenn said that he was doing the transformation in Beauty of the Beast of the Beast into the Prince. Yeah. And he didn't know how he was going to do it. And he wasn't sure what he was going to do or how he was going to do it. And he hated drawing hands and feet. Now, you figure by then he'd done Little Mermaid. And, yeah, right, sure. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. I think, right? That came first. So he'd done enough stuff. He'd worked on The Rescuers, and he'd done enough yeah. stuff. Um, and But he, he didn't like drawing hands and feet. So he made the sequence about hands and feet. So if you watch that transformation, you'll see the hands, you'll yeah, see no, the feet. You, you could totally see it. Right. You told me that story, and then I was watching it, and I was like, it's all over the place. Yeah, because he didn't want to draw it. That's mm. what good people do. They force them. They pay, he painted himself into a corner almost. Right. Yeah. I don't like this. I got to learn it. That's what I'm going to make it about. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So that's that's the kind of thing you learn from people like that. Like, okay, I see. That's what, I, that's what I'm afraid of. That's what I would tend to avoid. I got to push into that. I got to push into it. Yeah. So then it doesn't, because then it opens up your possibilities, right? Because if you're, if you're constantly planning your work around your limitations. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Then you're not going to be able to, to do, to take full advantage of whatever you can do with ever with the medium. Right. What can I do with this? Well, if I can't draw hands, I'm going to design things around that. Yep. Right. So, um, so yeah, I run towards those. Oh yeah, I remember you were looking looking at some of the stuff we were shooting. And you're like, you guys have done too much overcrank footage. You don't get to do that anymore. And it's like, fair enough. Right. Yeah. And you're like, no, you guys, you got it's the same thing. Like, yeah, you got to shoot something and don't use. You can't use any of that stuff. It's like, great. It'll only make you better. Right. Toss that. Right. Yeah. Got to get rid of that stuff. Well, because it would became a habit. Right. Right. This always works. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Oh, no, that's not, you can't do that. Yep. Right? You have to come up with another solution to that problem. Also, let's go back for a second to what Glenn was said with, with the Picasso piece. Mm -hmm. Because what I always loved about that story is he was looking at the whole. Right. Right. So when people are like, yeah, I just start writing. I don't really know where I'm going. It's like, well, Picasso, if Picasso, his eyes are in the middle because he's looking at the whole and that's why boom it connects right and it works yeah it just felt like the painter's version of structure or the paint like right. it wasn't like he just sat down yeah things might happen along the way but he's always looking at the whole piece right well it's interesting because what glenn said when he said that he says it's what it's what frank and ollie used to tell me really yeah i love this stuff to say the best people always do the same thing, yeah right yeah and then it's like what did bruce say he was like what were the hardest movies to work on and he was like the ones that did he's like i would work on a movie that didn't have an ending yeah he's yeah. and he was like that was so hard it's like yeah people were just focusing again going back to him like going well the best effects you don't actually see them mm -hmm. right yeah um where's this movie going how do we you know it's i thought that was really interesting the, the idea was like i i didn't know you never told me that piece that he he actually connected what picasso did back to Frank and Ollie. Oh yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So always looking at it from the perspective of the whole piece. Yeah. That each line relates to another. Man, these people are sharp. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um anything else on Glenn like um Glenn is a a family man. Glenn is all about his family. Yeah. 
And the first day we worked together, he's like, well, you got to come to my house and meet my wife. Right. Uh-huh. So, so we go to his house. Uh, his wife, Linda, she's very sweet. And it was cool to hang out with them uh, at their house. But to him, I think there's not very much of a line between his work. And it's it's that same thing. There's a there's a crossover. Um, his family life and his work life or or his work. Um, he tries to. I think connect those things as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Now that's what his dad did, right? His dad did a family comic strip, sure, right? Taking stuff from his life mm-hmm. and putting it in comic strips. So I think Glenn—that's the only way he knows how to work, right? Yeah, that's the way his dad worked, right? So even though it's not direct, as direct as what his father was doing, yeah, it's still there's a direct line between. Um, this was my daughter when she was this age and I have a a character who's that age. So I'm going to, you know, use what I know about my daughter to, and that's really cool. That kind of thing. But that's still personal. Yeah. He makes it personal. He finds a way to make it personal. Um, and you can feel that. I mean, you're talking about some of the greatest, most beloved characters. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. You people's entire childhood. It's like, eh, Glenn kind of did that. You know, you know what I mean? Like that's really amazing. So I was speaking at, at Disney. Um, again, this is just before Glenn left. I was speaking there, giving a, a talk, and Glenn um, introduced me, which was very nice. And um, afterwards, we're having lunch, and the, Disney had given me a book of, uh, like, a, it's their animation book, so it's like, I think it's just called Animation. And it's got, like, it's oversized, and it's got these drawings in it. And because I was there and some of the animators were there, I'm like, hey, can you guys sign, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> you know, where you did your th- piece. And there's a piece from uh, Little Mermaid of Ariel that Glenn did. And it's one of Glenn's favorite drawings he ever did for uh, at any of his stuff. At least that's what I, he said. I think that's what he said. But I know he's proud of that drawing. And he's proud of that drawing for a very specific reason. So it's a drawing when um, Ariel is singing. I forget the name of the song. I should know it. I forget it, but uh, it's a song she sings about wanting to be out. Yeah, yeah. You know her, mm-hmm. her I wish. Yeah, song. yeah, yeah. And uh, everybody knows it, and the, there's, I'm sure there's a bunch of people now going, eh, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I don't remember what it is. Yeah. But anyway, but there's, there's, she's, she's. You're looking down, and she's reaching up, right? As she's dreaming about being out there, and yeah. she's reaching up. And Glenn said that when I drew that, I thought maybe it was too far. I thought I'd gone too far, that it was too obvious, that it was too, that I'd gone too far. Um, and that maybe I should pull back, you know, this so literal, you know. But what he, he just did it and he went, went with it. And he said he's got more comments about that from little girls who, you know, people who grew up with it. Says that I felt that way. I know what that hmm. feeling. So he was drawing the feeling. Yeah. Right. He felt it. Yeah. He was drawing that feeling feeling but he felt like maybe i've gone too far but it's iconic right so hmm. so you can't if you're talking about your feelings I think it's obvious i think it's interesting you use the word obvious is that was that too obvious did i go too far as in what yeah as in maybe it's too obvious that it's like no yeah that's it works because he was drawing a feeling right right um it doesn't matter it, you don't even have to see it as literal right yeah it's a feeling and he drew the feeling um, and so that teaches you a lot, right? That that fear of, oh, I'm putting myself out there. Right. But going with it anyway. Same right. thing, vulnerability. Yeah. Um, another thing he 
I, I, I sort of learned from Gwen. It's kind of the same um, as Bruce, where they sort of trusted themselves. And, and Glenn trusts his impulses in a really interesting way. So he was telling me that he was um, working on Aladdin, and he was animating Aladdin. And he said, he goes, I had to draw Pocahontas. That was the next assignment was Pocahontas. And he couldn't figure out the design. He said, I didn't know how he was going to draw her or what she was going to look like. And uh, so that was the next assignment. But he's animating Aladdin. And all, he said, all of a sudden, the Superman shield pops into my head. So he says, on the paper while I'm animating Aladdin, in the corner I just draw the Superman shield. And then he goes, then I put eyes on it. I gave it a mouth, and I'm like, oh, there's Pocahontas. Right, right, right. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. But he trusted his impulses enough to stop what he was doing. Like, this is happening for a reason. Why wow. is this happening? Instead of questioning it and saying, I got work to do. Yeah, he lets it go. He let it go, and there was a solution to his problem. Man. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's another really good example of trusting the, your creative impulses, trusting your own instincts, trusting um, hunches and whims, and yep. you know, um, because they can lead to the best things. And I love the whole pushing and the fact that he's pushing himself into his uncomfortable, into where he feels the trickiest, which is hands and feet. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and he's like, nope, I'm gonna push myself. Right. Yeah. Um, which, like I said, when we were walking around the con, we we're looking at stuff. It's like, yeah, you can look. This person decided that this was as good as they wanted to be. And they keep using the same magic trick over and over pretty mm -hmm. much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can see it. Um, yeah. And Glenn goes, you become legendary when you go like, nope. <laughs> yeah. What's scaring me? Pants me. I'm pushing into it. Yeah. Next time on You Are a Storyteller. If somebody I admired said they liked something. Yeah. I wouldn't look at it through my eyes. I try and see it through their eyes. Yeah. What do they like about this? Yeah. What am I missing here? Yep. And not enough people do that. They think they're right. And that stops them from learning. Thanks for watching You Are a Storyteller. If you have any questions or there's a storytelling topic you want us to cover, leave a comment below or email us at hello at beliefagency.com.